Welcome to the Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And Caitlin Brennan, the Optimist Prime of YQ, who needs no introduction and is now officially a regular guest co-host. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning, everybody. And of course, Dan Goddard is off for the week. So, Caitlin, um, welcome back. And, Thank you. Uh, your job title just keeps getting better and better. I know. I, it's going to be too many requests. I'm going to get denied, and it's going to be a sad day. That's right. But make sure you track all of those on your CV. Um, they, they are extraordinary job titles. Uh, so, YQ, some exciting news. Uh, you're just a couple of weeks away from the big theme reveal. Is this something you guys do every year? Um, well, it hasn't been every year, but we we did a big launch party last year, and it was just kind of a way to pour back to our student body and kind of generate some excitement. Um, so yeah, we really like it, and hopefully... Are you, are you excited about it? I am excited about it. Okay, I think it's going to be a fun night. And that, what's the date of that? November 23rd. Okay, and there's a big reveal. You reveal the theme kind of thing? We're going to reveal the theme. We're going to reveal our main speakers and some guests, and then we'll slowly keep revealing as you know we see fit. But okay. yeah, that'll be the big night where everything gets revealed. Okay, so what is the theme this year? Nice try. <laughs> 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 what do you think the theme is this year, Jeff? Uh, well, I hope it's like revelation, because like we've just talked all this talk of revealing. Oh yeah, so oh. I think that would that would work. But a little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, end times. Yeah, yeah. there I we go. I actually, I actually know yeah. the theme, so uh, my lips are also sealed. okay. Okay, I kind of I, I kind of do too because I'm on Canva. Um, and I share the Briarcrest Canva <laughs> oh, account, so I know all of the graphics that have been created. So my lips are sealed as well. You guys will just have to wait. Uh, so this past Sunday, November 5th, was Daylight Savings Time. Uh, did you guys remember to change your clocks? Well, no, because we don't have to. Yeah, we live in Saskatchewan. Oh. Land of the free. <laughs> we, we don't let no government tell us what time it is. Uh, but have you ever worked in a province, another province, where you had to do that um, and, and had any problems with that? Uh, yes, uh, I've worked in Manitoba and Ontario. And so in the, the fallback season, and I always worked at churches that had two services. So right. we would often see people in yes. the first service who ordinarily attended the second service, but yeah. they would show up an hour early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I, there were... Or they'd show up an hour early before the first service, and depending on what time of year it is, and like the coffee's not even on, nobody's around, and you feel like you got to entertain them, you know, and you feel bad for them, but uh, you're like, well, yeah, you're, you got to change your clock, you know? And I can remember like having to like go overboard on social media, remember to change your clocks, remember to change your clocks every year because people were showing up uh, at the wrong time. Well, I, I heard of a uh, church that during the spring, I mean, the fall back is fine, people show up. Uh, yeah. early to church, but the spring forward time, people don't change their clocks and then they miss church. So I knew a guy whose church wouldn't change the clocks on the Sunday. Oh, and they and they their point was like, why do they why do they want to ruin 
Sunday morning. The most <laughs> important morning of the week, right? Fight the power. So, so, so yes. they would have their services like an hour later. I'm, I'm making air quotes with my fingers for all those listeners uh, that can't see what I'm doing, which would be all of you. Uh, and, and so that you wouldn't have to ruin that Sunday morning. Like you can be groggy at work on Monday. Like who cares about that? But like a church, you should be awake. And, and they alert. didn't like they kept it all throughout the year. Well, not all throughout the year. Like like they just throughout. that one Sunday. Oh, I see. And then they fixed it. Then, yeah. so they just had a delay in their daylight savings. Yeah, just time. a one day delay. Oh my goodness. Let Monday be your wow. groggy. Wow. Uh, morning instead uh, of Sunday. So, uh, Caitlin, do you think daylight savings time is a good idea? I don't really have an opinion to be honest, but I I've never lived anywhere outside of uh, Saskatchewan where this has been a major problem for me. Um, except this weekend, actually, I was in Winnipeg and I had a, a flight the Sunday morning and I had my alarm set and everything. And I woke up before my alarm, but then I looked over at the hotel clock and it said 7.30. And I don't think I've ever jumped out of bed so fast because I was freaking out. <laughs> and then I was legit the most confused because I kept looking at the clock and looking at my phone and it took an embarrassing amount of time to figure out what was going on. And... So that that just proves how little like I I pay attention um, and really care because I'm like I'm glad now that I'm back in Saskatchewan and I know what time it is and I can trust the clocks. The clock at the side of your bed didn't automatically update. Is no, what you're saying yeah. no. I mean, kids today, here, you know, grumpy old man. <laughs> kids today who just use their phone. For, exactly. For, for their watch. They don't. They don't know what it's like to have to go through the whole house and change. All change these, every clock. Every and, clock. And yeah. Totally. Change your watch and. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny in Saskatchewan. We think that daylight savings time doesn't affect us, but it does because half the year we're on Mountain Time and then the other half we're on Central Time, and so we're having to do do the math all the time. Like when I was in another province trying to contact Saskatchewan, I had to do the math. Right, just for Saskatchewan, mm. but not for the rest of us. But now I'm in Saskatchewan, I have to do the math for every other province. So if I'm trying to set up like a Zoom meeting with Ontario or something like that, so yeah, it affects us. Um, yeah. we, we also have like we have two boys in Manitoba and one boy who's going to school in Ontario. So when we have our almost weekly like FaceTime call together, it's uh, it's nice when we get to this time of year because there's only one hour difference between Ontario yeah. and Saskatchewan. Yeah. So all this to say, ministry leaders across the country, uh, we 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 feel your pain with daylight savings time uh, here in Saskatchewan. Of course, it, it doesn't seem to affect us at all. We get up when we get up, and we go to bed when we go to bed, and uh, we just we just go with the sun. Go with the sun. Um, well, let's change topics, guys. Last time Caitlin was here, we played a game called Name That Slang, and uh, I threw out some Gen Z slang terms, and you guys kind of had to guess the meaning of that. I want to do that again, because Caitlin actually suggested that next time we do this, we should do it with like Gen X slang. But I looked up the Gen X slang, and it turns out like it's kind of like just popular idioms now. Like we actually use it in our everyday language because, you know, the influence <laughs> of the Gen X generation has been so pervasive in mm. culture, right? So that wouldn't actually work. So I decided I was going to play a game instead that's kind of like that. What I want to do is I want to say a slang word, but you have to guess when I say this slang word, the decade that that came out. So from 1920 to 2020, what decade was this from? And what was the meaning of that slang term? So uh, let's give it a shot. How about this? The cat's pajamas. Oh, that feels really old. What does it mean? And uh, when do you think it's from? Who wants to go? 
Well, I, it, cat's pajamas means it's something that's that's great or the or very cool. Uh, am I allowed to use slang to define to describe? Uh, and <laughs> I, I'm going to guess. Translator. Yeah. I'm going to go twenties. Okay, Caitlin. You it's that old. What I do you do. think, Caitlin? Okay. I wasn't, well, I feel like I need to trust Jeff. (laughs) I also did know, though, that it meant good because it's similar. And again, I'm going to use maybe more slang, like the bee's knees, right? Would that be like at the same time? It's it's similar. Like the cats, but yeah. So So really cool. It was the 1920s and it means the best or the height of excellence. I think we got to bring that term back. The height of excellence. excellence. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to start saying the height of excellence This this podcast is the cat's pajamas. Wow. <laughs> all right. Here's a word that you were all fam- fa- uh, um, familiar with. Hipster. Oh. Hipster. What's it mean, Caitlin? And when did it start? Okay. I would say like, oh, hipster. Like it's, either it's like. It's complicated because I, I think it has multiple. Yeah. Like it I feel like. It has a positive meaning, meaning <laughs> and, a, and a negative pejorative meeting mm-hmm. yeah because i feel like it could it could be de- used to describe how someone looks like a look like a type of fashion like hipster i would say like laid back or like yeah maybe like thrifty like they thrift a lot of their clothing i don't know or like so what decade I, it's got to be post hippie i want to say because i think yeah. it's a derivative of I was going to say 80s or 90s. We're taking this so seriously. (laughs) Let me tell you, it's from the 1950s. What? And it means an innovative and trendy person. So I think the hippies came out of like hippies came out. Oh, it was the other way around. Okay, hippies were like 60s. Common usage is like pejorative now. Yeah, yeah. You're such a hipster. Yeah, you and your avocado toast. Yeah, your typewriter in your basket on your bicycle. Okay, get jiggy. Oh my word, Jiggy! Uh, I, is that uh, like Will Smith had a? Oh, a hit. get jiggy with it. Jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. Yeah. So did it? Did he coin Jiggy or did? I don't know. Did you he, tell me what, um, what decade? Have you heard the been, term would, before, Caitlin? I've heard would the term. I I would 90s? not have. Would I wouldn't have, have associated with born, Will Smith. It's the nineties. Nineties. Bam. What does it mean <laughs> to get jiggy? I, I, I don't think I want to touch that. <laughs> it means to dance or to flirt. Oh. Right. Yeah. Here's here's one we should all be familiar with. Catch you on the flip side. Catch you on the flip side. That feels 90s to me. I'm going to say 70s. Okay. What? What's it mean? Okay. This is not my game. I'll see you later. Yep. That's the 70s. Catch you. On, hey, catch you on the flip side. Yeah. See, I knew this was a, a good game because you don't have this wicked. Oh, my word. Early two thousands. Okay, early two thousand. No, I'm gonna mean? say uh, eighty. It it means the opposite of wicked. It like means, it's like it cool, means cool, good, yeah. excellent, or great. Nineteen eighties. Yeah. All right. I See, these are terms you thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about oh, this one, Caitlin? You better get this one. Fleek or on fleek? What does that mean? That feels new. Like <laughs> this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's not early 2000s, like 2010s, 2020s. Like, yeah, I feel 2010s. Like that's What's not it mean? like you're on trend or on you're yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's stylish. You're perfectly okay. stylish. Oh, that 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 vest you're wearing, Jeff. Right now is on fleek. Oh, this, is, this is the old pastor vest. That's what this is. Um, Stan. Stan is 
uh, a cross between a stalker and a fan. What? So, Dang, you're on. Yeah. Yes. So, like, someone who is like. He's a stand in yeah. that in that gray zone between, <laughs> between which is like Eminem fan. too, right? Stand. There's a character in an Eminem song. Anyway, maybe you don't listen to Eminem, but anyway, um, only Christian music, actually, yeah. Rob. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, 2020s was Stan. How about this one? 2020. Yeah. 2020s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, Stan. It's recent. very new, right? This. I, yeah. I thought. You know. We. All right. Uh, what's up? Oh my. So that was from a Budweiser commercial. Yeah. I'm going to say in the 90s. Yes, right. Bam, yeah. What's up? Okay, this is getting What's to be a little up? unfair. I don't have all of these <laughs> memories <laughs> of true. seeing this on Caitlin, TV or knowing one. people. You'll get this one. Juke joint. Why do you think I know that? <laughs> like, well, I'm just going to assume that it's like 2020s if you think I know it. That sounds like nothing I've ever heard anyone say in my life. I think Rob, Do you know what it Rob is? did you dirty. <laughs> so it's like a, a, like a dance club or something like that. Like a, and I would say it's like old. that has it's a like jukebox. 30s, 40s. It's the 30s. A casual and inexpensive establishment with drinking, dancing, and blues music. I figured you would get it, Jeff, of all people. Okay. Caitlin, you will get this because one. Because of the music. You... Because of the music part of it, right? Yes. Okay, yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> Not the CD bar atmosphere. Yeah. No. <laughs> Barney Bag. Barney bag. Oh, wait. Over to you. Okay, like Barney's like, is like a store. So is it the bags? Like you get a bag when you shop at Barney's. So then you like have a certain status. Is it something like that? Am I way off? I'm going to guess 2010s. 2000s. Oh. And it's a gigantic purse. That's a Barney bag. So maybe it's because it looks like a dinosaur. It's like a dinosaur that's big. <laughs> is it purple? I, I don't yeah. think it's purple. It's just big. Nice Barney bag. Um, okay. Yeah. You would have been very young when that came out, and I don't remember that at I, all. I so do not remember that I looked all. it up. Somebody may have been making it up, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So none you. of this is even real. You just like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, well, it's on the internet. It's got to be true, right? Right. Everything on the internet That's how that true. works. Uh, Barney bag is not misinformation, nor is it disinformation. It's a very real cultural slang term. Excellent. Well, guys, thanks for playing. Gen Z are all generations slang terms. Uh, both of you. Is that the official title of that yeah, game? <laughs> yeah. all, all generations slang terms. You know, I had a, a friend of mine come in and teach one of my youth ministry 100 classes, and he's a youth pastor. And he said one of the, the important roles of youth pastors and what they play in churches is they are generational translators. And I like that term. I think it's important that we have a, a generational translator in there. So now that you guys have are more informed. So mm-hmm. apparently I can generationally translate for the seniors at, at my <laughs> church. Right. 1930s is quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. They'd have to be 100 years old, right? So... Okay, well, hey, we would love to hear feedback from our listeners, um, and it's been great. This last week, we uh, last week we talked about uh, asking people to like um, or to rate our podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, and we asked them to maybe leave some comments, and uh, we did get a bit of an uptick. Appreciate that for the, our listeners who are doing that. Uh, if you haven't yet, we encourage you to certainly give us uh, some feedback on uh, on all the platforms. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Jeff, if somebody wants to give us straight up feedback, how can they do that? 
Yeah, if you feel like uh, emailing to congratulate me on my generational slang prowess, you can reach me and the whole podcast gang by emailing podcast at churchinthenorth.ca. That's podcast at churchinthenorth.ca. Yeah, and if you want to su- suggest other job titles for Caitlin, uh, you can also email us at podcast at churchinthenorth.ca. We'd be happy to give her a new job title uh, next time she's on here. Uh Our guest this week is Mark Birch. He's the lead pastor of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, BC. And uh, we talk about a lot of things, Um, gospel contextualization, leadership development, church planting, and the future of ministry training, plus a whole lot more. So it's going to be a good conversation. And so our listeners, keep on listening. And uh, thanks, guys, for joining me this morning. Thanks, Thanks, Caleb. Thank you guys so much again for... I don't want to say embarrassing me, but I do feel a little embarrassed at my lack of knowledge. You know what? I'm not a youth pastor. I don't need to translate. No. I'll just stick with my my generation. Yeah, that's bubble. why you have your team. Your exactly. Team that exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, guys. Well, Mark Birch, welcome to the Church in the North podcast. So glad to have you with us today. Great. It's good to be with you, Rob. Looking forward to this. Well, we want to we want to walk through your story, and then we want to hear more about uh, the uniqueness of what you guys are doing over there at Northview, and uh, you know have have a conversation along the way. Mm. And uh, I'm just so glad that we could spend some time together. Uh, we go back way back. Uh, some of our listeners might not know, but we go back a number of years to our work with uh, church planting and C2C network and Redeemer City to Cities. So, um, why don't you why don't we begin with you talking about your story and ministry? Let's 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 get everybody uh, up to speed on who you are. And uh, so why don't you go back to the beginning? I mean, not, you know, to the day you came out of the birthing canal, but yeah. let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. And why don't you walk us through just up to your current role now at Northview? Give us a bit of a, a, a view of the landscape of your ministry journey. Yeah. Okay, Rob, that's great. Um, yeah, I always, when I, when I go into these conversations, I'm like, uh, how boring will it be for somebody else to listen to a guy's story? And yet the context, I, I know it's always important. And, yeah. you know, when I hear somebody else's story, I'm like, oh, that's why you uh, do the things you do. So, you know, we're all shaped by our history, of course. Um, I'm uh, I'm an American kid. So that uh, is a, a critical part to my story. Born into a pastor's family. My folks were rural church planters uh, in the early years of their ministry. And back in that day, uh, we had very large families. So I'm the seventh of eight kids. And by the time I came around, dad was in established churches and uh, try to keep that short. Uh, they were, my folks both came out of non-Christian homes, uh, came to faith through a, a vibrant youth program uh, in their town as teenagers. So I love youth ministries. And I don't know how they got uh, to a Canadian Bible school, but my folks, uh, chose to go to a Canadian school, uh, not Briarcrest. They went to one in Alberta in a, I won't name the school, but it's in a little town called Three Hills. Uh, and so <laughs> this is way back in the late forties, early fifties. Uh, so my folks were sort of steeped in a very conservative theological bent and then went on to do mm. ministry and, uh, to fast forward it, uh, pastored in several Baptist churches uh, during my childhood years. And in my junior high years, uh, somehow dad got, uh, into a liberal church. And I don't know whether they didn't interview well or he didn't interview well, but by the, when he arrived, shortly after arrival, realized that uh, the, his predecessor was quite liberal uh, in his uh, theological perspective, and particularly his view on the scriptures, uh, didn't believe the Old Testament was 
inspired. Uh, they didn't teach or preach from the wow. Old Testament. So dad spent about four years battling um, Bible issues. Uh, and then in 1980, um, had a final blow up with a couple deacons, wrote a resignation letter, went to the hospital and led a guy to Christ and then went home and died of a massive heart attack. And so wow. that radically affected my life, as you can imagine. Yeah. So I was a 15 year old kid and dad had shared enough of his struggles and his battles in that church. And I think, I think looking back now, that was a, certainly a milestone in my life. Um, yeah. Because I had to make a decision. I was a pretty angry kid for a, a period of time. I really blamed the church for killing my dad is how I looked at it. Mm. And, mm. Uh, you know, by God's grace, uh, he kept his hand on my life. Uh, Mom was from Oregon. Uh, we were living in Colorado when dad died. So she moved us back to Oregon to be near her family. And we got involved in a, a good local church uh, that just so happened to have had a pastor who had been a prof at Briarcrest prior to uh, serving in our church. And he had got a line of students. Yep. He got a line of students headed uh, from our little town in Oregon up to Briarcrest. And so in my senior year of high school, I visited Youthquake and was encouraged, uh, thrilled, whatever, excited about that event, decided to go to Briarcrest. So that gets us up to the 80s. And uh, Carolyn and I met at Briarcrest. We were there 82 to 86. And thoroughly enjoyed our years at Briarcrest and then headed back out. We graduated in 86, married in 87. And we did a a short stint uh, in ministry in Carolyn's uh, hometown. And to make another long story short, as a young married couple, we were fighting like cats and dogs. Uh, (laughs) Both Christian homes, uh, solid backgrounds, but just culturally, our homes were so incredibly different in our personality Mm. types. We share a lot in common. So uh, if you know couples who have a lot of personality traits in common, then you know you tend to to fight a, a little more. So we did that. Mm. And uh, so we stepped out of ministry intentionally to get some help with our marriage and just said, you know, before wow. we dive deep into the, the lifelong commitment to, to ministry, which we both had, thankfully, Carolyn also had a, very, a deep call to pastoral ministry. Um, so we spent a couple of years uh, I had uh, concrete placing as a trade and worked in the construction field for a couple of years, got some marriage counseling, and then began to look for a pastorate. So mm-hmm. at age 26, we went to our first little pastorate in a rural church. Uh, there were 57 people on our first weekend, uh, and it was mm-hmm. sort of a classic rural church story. They had been at their peak 400 people 40 years mm-hmm. earlier, uh, way back in yeah. uh, the early history of the church, and had basically spent 40 years in decline. And they called, uh, they made the decision that they would take a risk on calling a young pastor couple. And, you know, God really blessed. We learned a lot in that setting, um, small church where everybody knows everybody and right down to the kids and the dog's names, farming community, um, a hyper congregational model of ministry. So we had several business meetings every year where every decision okay. was made and the challenges of congregational governance. So I can tell Color you of the curtains down to the paint. Yeah. I can tell you some <laughs> funny stories if you want to go there. Uh, and then about five and a half years into that really sense that, uh, you know, I had probably done as much as I could, uh, reach, uh, you know, leadership cap in that setting. And our kids were early grade school. So for me as a kid, having bounced around a bit and watched the effects on my brothers and sisters of moving, had really had a desire that we could raise our kids in one town 
as much as possible. So we made a move at that point in time, resigned, and we were called to a mid-sized church uh, up in Kelowna, the interior of BC. And uh, by God's grace, we were able to spend 12 and a half years there. So we got the kids, uh, all three of them, through high school and graduated. Uh, So their growing up years were all spent in that one town, which was really of great benefit to them. That's so good. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, Rob, I'm talking a lot, but uh, when we went to Kelowna, it was a huge challenge for us. We were coming out of this little rural community, uh, you know, and God had blessed. We'd had baptisms and growth and and that was great. But we went to a church that was about five, six hundred when we arrived. And for us, it felt like we were going to a mega church and we were from a rural village, literally just Hmm. like not a town at all into a city of 150,000, which again, for us felt like you're going to the great urban center. Um, right, right. So big changes and, uh, a promise that God gave me when we were interviewing, um, was reading in John four in my devotions and the story of the woman at the well and Jesus disciples coming back and, you know, questioning him why he was talking to this woman and what was going on in that conversation. But near the end of that conversation, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, uh, stop saying it's four months more to the harvest. Uh, The harvest fields are white uh, right in front of you. And then this one line, he said, I'm sending you to reap where others have done the hard work. And Mm -hmm. as I'm reading that in my devotions, that particular text just jumped off the the page at me and landed in my heart. Uh, We were candidating at a very healthy church. They were 50 years old, but uh, the previous pastors had fought all the battles that needed to be fought back in the day. This was in the late 90s. So the worship wars had been fought uh, for those old enough to remember those good old days. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the, the organ and piano, uh, you know, had been set aside for modern music. Um, they had broken the single cell uh, mindset in that they were already in multiple services, uh, had built a new building 10 years prior to our arriving. So really, we landed into a very healthy uh, leadership structure, facilities, uh, musical styles, etc. And it really was true for the next decade that uh, the Lord really blessed and we got to reap uh, building on the shoulders of those guys who went ahead of us. And the Lord prospered that work uh, by His grace. Uh, we grew uh, from that single site to a four-site multi-service, 10-service um, mm. church over those next 12 years. And that was great. Now, that being said, uh, I did not run well as a leader. So 12 years in, 11 years in, uh, largely because of poor self-management, leadership challenges. I likely needed a coach that I didn't have back in the day, um, didn't understand the challenges I was facing with multi-staff, and faced a personal burnout, uh, which I wouldn't say the classic in the sense of really, you know, hitting the wall and having a an absolute meltdown, but certainly hit a wall and entered into a mild depression and just a time of uh, a deep melancholy uh, cloud over Mm -hmm. the ministry. And in the midst of that challenge, uh, we made the decision that we probably led that church as far as we probably could and stepped down from ministry uh, in that particular setting and had the call to join Church Planting BC. Uh, And that led into the next chapter of our life so we're in our early 40s at this point in time and what, what year would it have been there that was uh, we finished in Kelowna 2009 so 14 okay. years ago yeah and is church planning bc was that with the mbs men, men and brethren yeah so okay. um 
Mennonite brethren have have classically had a, a real missional heart and the church planning heart. Uh, we're a very small denom. Uh, as denominations go, we're only 500 churches in all of North America, uh, 250 basically in Canada and the U.S. each. But they've always tried to reach into communities where there weren't churches and plant churches. So the British Columbia Conference had a church planning director who had a vision to expand that beyond just the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And so the church planning BC name was to remove it from, you know, Mennonite Brethren church planning and make it broader. And we yeah. had begun, uh, or he had begun already some conversations. Uh, the, the two earliest conversations were with Pentecostal Assembly of Canada and Fellowship Baptist guys uh, who were coming, uh, looking for training and equipping. So a uh, guy's name was Gord Fleming, great leader, uh, thoroughly enjoyed my years yeah, working with yeah. Gord. And uh, so we spent the next decade, um, and it's a bit of a mishmash, but I think it's relevant to perhaps some of the listeners, deeply, deeply loved the church planning world. And I think partly because I grew up in that home where, you know, my folks were rural church planners that was in their blood. Dad, back in the early, uh, my grade school years, was doing, long before they called it multi-site, uh, he was doing a dual church charge. We're in our small town, a, a church up the road, 15 miles, was without a pastor. So Dad would drive back and forth. He would preach the 9 a.m. in our church, hmm. drive up there for a 10 a.m. preach, and then come back to an 11 a.m. service at our church. Wow. And this, I mean, that would be, honestly, Rob, that had to be in the 1970s. Uh <laughs> Nobody was talking multi-site or that kind of thing. They just did what they needed to do, yeah. right? Did, it, did they do an evening service as well? Yes, there was evening yeah. service, and then there was <clears throat> midweek, midweek Bible study. Bible study, yes. Yeah. The good wow. old days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, how long was your break between, you know, finishing up at this church and, you know, obviously feeling uh, probably a bit, of, bit exhausted and, and burnt out? Uh, how long was the gap between that and stepping into this new role? Yeah, we had a three-month window, and and that's good and important. I think uh, was I was either wise enough or just tired enough to know that I needed a break. Uh, so we resigned. Uh, in fact, in all the roles that we have been in, we've we've have always finished the role that we're in without knowing where we're going, and that's just the way God has led us. Um, we knew we were done, so we resigned on faith that the Lord would have something for us, uh, but did not know where we're going. But I I knew we had enough money set aside that we could survive for three months uh, without needing employment. So we're like, okay, we're going to take sort of a self-imposed sabbatical, if you will, and yeah. not do anything for three months and just rest and uh, do some vacation and visit family and that. And it was in the midst of that three-month period that uh, Gord Fleming contacted me and said, I know you're on a break, but you know when you're ready to, to begin looking seriously, I'd like to talk to you. So we did end up having that full three months break and then to the date, uh, three months after resignation, then we started with Church Plan in BC. So again, okay. that was God's grace to us. I mean, it was a gift that we needed uh, that rest and gain some perspective and health again. So, Yeah. So while you were with Church Planning BC, it went through a few different iterations. Um, it, it changed its name a bit. Uh, it's, its focus, its funding model and all that switched up a little bit. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think as far as that that particular network, uh, you know, I could talk forever about it, but uh, it was a beautiful thing. Um, I remember sitting with with Gord, uh, actually in a restaurant and drawing on the back of a napkin. We were down mm -hmm. in Seattle uh, consulting with Scott Classic. Thomas, who was at that point in time the president of Acts Twenty Nine when it was in its glory days, 
And we began to think and dream about what would a, a national network look like um, in the Canadian context. And, and the challenge for me, and I think it still is true, uh, Rob, that I think most Canadian church planners today, if, if a, uh, a young couple is sensing a call in their heart to start something new, um, most of them go south of the border for resourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, every denom has a little bit of a church planning arm to it, and some are stronger than others. But um, the vast majority of church planning resources, you know, are stateside. So uh, we began to ask the question: Why couldn't we create a go-to Canadian place for you know the broad spectrum of evangelicals? Um, so it wouldn't matter what uh, tribe you were part of; that you could look to a Canadian network that would help you with training and support and prayer and assessment and all those kind of things. So that was really the heart behind it. And and the name came as we wrestled with what would we call it, some kind of generic, it could, it was going to be housed uh, from a legal standpoint, housed in the Mennonite Brethren denomination because you got to house it yeah. somewhere. But what would we call it that would be generic? And in looking at the Canadian history, uh, partly because I had just taken out my Canadian citizenship and gone through the study manual and was really challenged and encouraged by the story of uh, Leonard Tilley, who at the... Uh, you know, the Confederation meeting back in Charlottetown way back in 1864. Uh, he comes down from his morning devotionals with Psalm 72, 8 and challenging uh, all men in the room, but uh, challenging the men saying, hey, look, if we get this through the parliament in uh, Britain, it's got to be Dominion of Canada based on Psalm 72, 8. Um, and the king will have mm-hmm. dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. And that mm-hmm. little phrase there, C to C, um, which is our national motto, uh, etched in stone on the Peace Tower in Ottawa, yet till today. Um, you know, if you've studied that text, uh, you know, it's a prophetic psalm. Um, and Zechariah quotes it in Zechariah 9, uh, where he talks about the king is going to come humble riding on the back of a donkey, and his dominion will be from C to C. And then, of course, Jesus fulfills that when he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. <laughs> And so this promise uh, that really, you know, really grabbed my heart at that point saying, would, could we live to see the day where King Jesus truly did have dominion from coast to coast, from sea to sea, uh, across the, the Canadian landscape? So we grabbed that name and um, <laughs> began into the multi-denominational world. So it was fun. I, I love how an American is schooling us in Canadian history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been in Canada half your life anyway. So yeah, more than been, half. Yeah, yeah, more than half. So um, that's great. Um, okay, so you were with C2C for quite a number of years. And and I mean, we, we don't need to go through all the iterations and whatnot. And I mean, that's when you you and I intersected. I mean, I, yeah. I my my church wasn't planted with C2C, but um, I think once we were up and running and we heard about you guys, I mean, there was just such an affinity um, just for gospel-centered um, mission for for us that uh, we kind of got grafted into the vine with you guys, and and you guys are really generous inviting me to all your events, and then of course I I got on staff with you guys uh, in as a regional mobilizer for Edmonton, and uh, yeah. you know we did training with uh, Redeemer City to City, so yeah, uh, that's that just brings everyone up to speed on our on our journey together. But sure. uh, those were great times. There, there was just there was just such an uh, a sense of God doing something uh, significant across our country and. Uh, yeah, um, there's there's two stories, Rob, that I think uh, they still burn in my heart, and you know I desire to see it happen again. And they they come. One comes from Keller. Uh, we used a ton of their stuff, Redeemer City to Cities training, um, and just his global heart. Uh, but Keller would say in his training, uh, you know, planting a, a great flourishing church in Manhattan, but saying you know the one church alone will not reach the city. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And nor will one denomination alone reach this city. So the partnerships that even very early on he began to explore and try to partner with and then how they have built city to cities, global affiliates all around the world that are intentionally multi-denominational, uh, just knowing that, you know, Presbyterians alone, which was Keller's world, are not going to reach the entire world. Yeah. We need the, yeah. the broad swath of the evangelical church. And then secondly, uh, Ed Stetzer was up here at uh, a conference probably 10 years ago at this point in time. And I remember yeah. well the moment he's standing on the stage, giving his spiel, and in the midst of his his talk, he pauses, and you could tell he was having a thought off off script. And he said, "You know, let me just talk to you as Canadians for a moment." His wife's a Canadian, so he feels like he has some, you know, voice to speak to us. But he says, "Please do not do what we've done in America." And then, so he now has our attention, and you know, yeah. kind of pauses, and then he says it fairly uh, soberly. He said, "You know, in the states." We don't have to work together because our denominations are so large and so well-resourced that most of us uh, can function entirely on our own. And he says, in Canada, you don't have that luxury because yeah. the, the denominations are small. The resources are less. And then, you know, he made this funny comedy. He's like, you're like a bunch of penguins up here. And if you don't huddle together for heat... Uh, you're going to die. <laughs> and and I just remember so that true. challenge of saying, you know, you look across this room and who knows who was in the room, but knowing that it was a multi-denominational room, and yet on the core theological issues of our statements of faith, we were in agreement and going, why could we not partner, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians and Alliance and Mennonites and Pentecostals and you name it on these core doctrines that we agree for the sake of Canada. So it's still a burden in my heart that we would yeah. we would see that kind of a cooperation um, where, you know, the, the denominational flags get lowered a bit and the name of Jesus gets lifted up. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. 100%. So how did you get from C to C to where you are today? Yep. Uh, interesting story, Rob. And I, th this might resonate for, I don't know who will be listening to this, but uh, in the midst of that, uh, you know, what you'd have to call a parachurch world. Uh, I think the pastoral call uh, just never got out of my heart. And so as much as I loved the network world uh, and thoroughly did enjoy it, there was this tug. We had already spent 23 years in the local church and really, really missed. And so to tell you a bit of that story, the decade in the church mining world was actually broken into two parts because this tug to get back in the local church was so strong that Two years in, I accepted a call to go to a, a Baptist church that was in a, a turnaround type situation and just really felt this tug for this this church. The moment I arrived there, I knew within six weeks uh, that this was not going to be a long term, that it was going to be a transitional role. Mm -hmm. uh, and we spent two years there doing basically what all transitional leaders uh, would do. And then went back to uh, C2C Network into the church planning world. And all the way through that, uh, you know, the, the, the two favorite parts of my job were working with young leaders, uh, seeing them get trained up and tooled and encouraged and envisioned for church planning. And then secondly, uh, the work that we were doing with established churches. So a lot of itinerant uh, pulpit ministry and meeting with pastors of yeah. long established churches that wanted to get into the planting game but didn't know how to do it. And in the midst of that, every time I was in a local church uh, as a guest speaker or meeting with an elders team or a pastoral team talking about this, there's this just this tug on my heart that, oh, man, mm. I miss the local church, mm. uh, love the local yeah. church. 
So in the midst of all of that, in the 10-year journey with C2C, uh, we had eventually merged with a global mission organization. And in the midst of that merger, my role was changing and becoming what I viewed as far more administrative than I wanted to be involved in. And this tug on the local church was just there. So I talked with my boss and said, you know, um, it's been a decade and I need to get back into the local church. Um, I'm looking at my age and saying, I would love to finish the last, you know, 10, 15 year run that I've got uh, in me. Uh, I would like to do that based in a local church. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that, that again, we resigned not knowing where we're going. And one of our advisory team members uh, was the pastor of the church that we're currently in. And at one of our meetings, I was just sharing my journey with him of, you know, the kind of the loose in the saddle feel that I was having. And he's like, you know what, as a church, we have just embraced a, a church planning vision. And I have just begun the search of looking for somebody to lead it, you know, so it was one of those divine coincidences, if you will. And yeah. uh, or yeah. if you want to use the sovereignty of God language, it was certainly his, <laughs> his plan in preparing that conversation at the right time. And so I finished, finished my uh, task with C to C, uh, took a month of vacation time and then jumped on board here at Northview. So that's okay. a short version. Yeah. And it wasn't very long. You were in that role and, uh, there was something happened. There was a leadership transition that really, um, affected your role there. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> that's an understatement. You know what? And if my good friend Jeff Buckham happens to listen to this ever, um, you know, he can, we've had this conversation often, nothing will surprise him what I'm about to say. So yeah, when we came to Northview, uh, following, a, or not joining a great leader named Jeff Buckham, he had been here, uh, 15 years already, 13 years as a lead guy. And, um, one of the key questions, of course, that I, I think every candidate as an associate role asks to the, the lead guys, well, how long are you going to be here? And, you know, in, in his mind, he thought, you know, a good another decade for sure. And I thought that's great. Uh, I can pour myself into the church planning role and, uh, you know, sail into the retirement sunset, as you will. Sounded great. And then, you know, two major events happened. Of course, we were here, uh, we joined in the summer and then, of course, the next March. So eight, nine months later, uh, the world shut down with COVID. And so we've all been through that journey. And so all of the effects um, on the local church and grappling with that and the, the effects that that had on our church planning vision at the point in time. Uh, and then in the midst of the second year, so it would have been 14, 16 months into my time here and smack dab in the middle of the COVID uh, situation, uh, Jeff came to us as a leadership team and said, hey, guys, I need to let you know I'm in conversation with uh, Harvest Bible Chapel down in Chicago. And I think mm. most listeners will be familiar with the story of of that church and James McDonald's yeah, yeah, departure yeah, and all that went along yeah. with that. Uh, so Jeff, uh, took a number of months, but interviewed back and forth and, uh, accepted the call from Harvest to come down to Chicago and lead that, lead that church into their next season. And, you know, we, it was a, a bittersweet conversation truly because, you know, rejoicing for that church in that they would have a leader that would come and lead them into the next season. And I think Jeff's gifting is uniquely suited to that situation. And then, of course, grieving for ourselves because we're like, uh, we lost a really great leader and a uh, highly respected teacher. So then who fills the gap? And in the midst of that, uh, because COVID and do we do a thorough 
nationwide search. How does this work? Uh, our yeah. elders looked internally and, and said, Hey, uh, you know, we've got a guy here. Would you be interested in, in the conversation? And so we began that conversation. And so two years into my assignment then I, I transitioned into the lead role and have been in wow. that the last two years. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's, I mean, that, that is unique. I mean, they didn't do the transition pastor, uh, they didn't do the job posting. They just, uh, I mean, it's during COVID as well. And so they're just, there's a guy here on the bench who, I mean, God is clearly uh, gifted and it would be a great fit for the role. Gets our culture. People love him. Let's just do this transition. Um, was that, was that pretty seamless moving into this new role or is, you know, I suppose, it, I, I suppose you, it depends who you ask. Um, <laughs> I uh, suppose it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think from the outside in, uh, as I talked to a number of our, our congregants, many of them have affirmed how seamless it felt and looked to them, which is, that's yeah. great. I'm like, praise God for that. Uh, behind the scenes at the leadership table, you know that there's, there's always nuances to that story. And sure. so, uh, you know, the, the factors were, were numerous, uh, Jeff uh, finished June 30th and I literally started July 1st. So we had wow. at midnight, we passed the baton. Uh, it just happened to correspond with uh, COVID restrictions opening in British Columbia. So Jeff had to finish his ministry. We, we had a season where we could meet outdoor in tents, uh, but not inside. So we had four tents of 50 people on our parking lot that you could preach to. So hmm. he finished his ministry preaching outside to four tenths of 50 people. Wow. And literally the next Sunday, the world had opened up wide and we could be back inside in the sanctuary packed full of people. Now that didn't last, you know, more than a couple months and we were back into restrictions. But yeah. just the timing on that was, you know, I mean, we did make a joke of it that as soon as Buckham left the country, COVID was over. Um, you know, we had a little fun, but that just the emotional tug for our people that they weren't even really able to say a, a formal goodbye to Jeff because we yeah, literally could yeah. not meet. So he left yeah, town, you know, saying hard. goodbye basically on a video. And so yeah. people were grieving and I guess I'm old enough to have seen the transitional story enough times to realize that in the typical church, particularly following a, you know, a well-respected ministry that has ended well. Yeah, uh, it takes a year for the church to simply yeah. deal with the grief and the shock, um, you know, the sorrow that there's a leader that they have respected is gone. And just to deal with that reality, in many ways, it's like a death in the family, and it takes a full year. Then typically, you know, which you have transitional pastors come, uh, you find a new guy, and it takes at least a year uh, to get to know the new guy to build trust to get used to a new voice. So, you know, I've, I've counseled over years, a number of younger leaders going, when you're starting in a new church, just anticipate the first two years are simply getting to know the congregation, the people love them, lead them well, earn trust. And by about year three, you, your ministry actually then starts to begin. Now that's discouraging in, in the first days, but it's just reality. You need to build trust. So I said to our team, you know what, guys, we got two years ahead of us of this transition. And the first year, we've just got to knuckle under and deal with people's grief and the shock yeah. and the change. We're coming out of COVID, well, we're in and out of COVID all through that time. Year two, we will probably start to gain some traction. And by year three, which is this fall, uh, 2023, we would probably start to move forward in ministry. Mm. And actually, mm. rather, it, it's really, we've tracked that way just really well. The first year was tough with COVID, and we had yeah. uh, a number of pastoral changes that happened. 
Uh, we refilled a number of those roles last year uh, coming out of COVID. It took us clear till Easter of 2023, so this past spring, to get back to our pre-COVID numbers. So even though the world had opened up the previous summer, the return to church was slow. And uh, by Easter, we're finally back. And I'm like, oh, praise God for that. So yeah. summer was great. We're back to what feels like, uh, you know, that pre-pandemic world as far as numbers. And uh, that's been exciting to see. So yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to the fall. I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel in many ways we're just beginning our ministry. And um, team is strong. Uh, we still have a few vacancies we need to fill. Uh, but God's been very good to us. Yeah. Well, praise God. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, you know, and I don't think everyone knows Northview, but I mean, it's a multi-campus, multi-service uh, church community. Uh, so there's a, you know, a lot of dynamics in in your in your church. Um, I mean, you're you're situated primarily in Abbotsford. Uh, you do have a mission campus, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the unique, I want to talk about some of the unique passions of your church. Um, and one of them is this with this whole framework of, of leadership development and, and church planting. And Northview actually has a leadership institute. So uh, what's that all about? Can you, can you kind of explain that to us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rob, let me set a little, a little bit of the context of how we got there. Uh, Northview's uh, 43 years old and uh, from the get-go, it had a legacy of faithful Bible teachers. A uh, mm -hmm. couple of the early guys that I, I knew back in the day, uh, you know, would say we're not doing anything that special. It's basically worship in the Word. Um, we we right. take people to Jesus through music, and then we open the Bible. And really, I would say for the four decades, uh, just meat and potatoes, expositional, exegetical type preaching has been the core. Uh, there's been a deep uh, love for doctrine and theology, which I think has been uniquely shaped by some of the leaders that we have had uh, over the years. And so that love for hmm. sound doctrine and teaching and a love of the scriptures really led the church probably six, eight years ago. Two, thi two things happened in tandem. The, the church planting multiplication vision happened about the same time, and then the leadership development. So knowing that we wanted to see more and better churches planted across the country, which require more and better leaders and more and better disciples, yeah. uh, that those two in tandem needed to happen. And I think as the church began to look for leaders <coughs> that would come and potentially go out from among us and plant new churches, it was a challenge in looking at students who were coming out of the existing uh, Bible schools and theological schools in that many of them came with no ministry experience under their belt. So right, they would have a degree, right. uh, but sadly, and this is not on the schools necessarily as much as it is on the student, um, a number of candidates who, when you began to press into their church experience, had not even been part of the church community during their theological training. Yeah. You know, which is really yeah. sad. You, you Absolutely. Uh, exit Absolutely. out of the church for three or four years while you're a student and effectively become disengaged in the life uh, of a local congregation. And so this vision for church-based theological training began to percolate to say, you know, can we train our own students? Can we find a partnership model with a seminary somewhere or whatever, where we could get uh, sound theological training, but not unhinge it from the local church? So give yeah. students 
local church ministry experience alongside um, their theological training. So, I mean, long story short, and we could talk forever about that, uh, Rob, but that is what the model has has grown into. We're in a, a dual seminary partnership, so Northwest Seminary and Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary together um, confer our degrees for us, uh, and the students spend basically 20 hours a week in study and 30 hours a week in ministry is uh, what it looks like. And over the course of a four-year, they will earn their Master's of Divinity, and at the end of four years, they've also got, you know, effectively at least two plus full years of ministry experience under their belt so that as they graduate, they can already, you know, say, I've done four years of ministry in a local church. So it's uh, it's grown to uh, the level right now that we're comfortable with the size. We have a dozen students, so about uh, three students per year that rotate in those four-year um, models. Yep. Uh, we've graduated out probably, uh, uh, it, it's, it would either be nine or 12 students. Uh, most of them have found placement in churches ministering and some in the parachurch. Um, so that's been great to see. But it, it was based on the fact that we wanted to train our own leaders in-house. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, and, and some of our listeners might think, well, that's, that's only 12 students. That's not a lot, but actually seminaries aren't that large. I mean, they, some of the seminaries who've been operating for many, many decades might be three or four times that size and that's it. I mean, so that's, that is actually quite a significant number of leaders. Um, those leaders, are they, are they, um, active in ministry with you or in other places or did some make changes? Yeah, at, at the beginning point, uh, all of the students would have been embedded uh, inside the walls at Northview, uh, and so assigned to various areas of ministry. And the the idea originally was maybe year by year they would be reassigned to different departments. Uh, we've shifted that somewhat today, based on the students' uh, calling and interest, uh, and you know just their competencies that they might spend the entire four years in, like for example, adult uh, discipleship. Uh, small group ministries, uh, preaching, teaching ministries, children yeah. and youth ministries. Um, so it started in-house. Then we had more and more requests coming from sister churches saying, hey, we would, we've got a student, uh, one or two students with us. Do we have to send them to Northview for four years to do their training? Mm-hmm. So again, in a partnership with the seminary, uh, they agreed that the kids could take uh, the kids, the students. <laughs> Many of them are not kids. Some are middle-aged. Um, yeah they could take the theological training with us and do the ministry experience in their local church. So that's been exciting just in the last couple of years. Uh, I think this year we have three partners that are not part of Northview. Um, So they do their ministry at a sister church, you know, all of them here in the lower mainland. So within an hour's drive of Northview, and then they will come in uh, one day a week for their studies with the cohort. Um, That's opening some interesting doors because potentially there could be partners then across the country, you know, with Zoom connections and video link that could join a cohort of students in their theological training, but stay embedded in their local church for ministry experience. So, hmm. wow, yeah, the big dream behind it was, I mean, there's many parts to it, but was, can we get these kids through their education uh, and not carry a ton of debt from their theological education and help them survive through the year? So. As they enter into this program, we pay for their seminary education and give them a tiny stipend. 
So it's, you know, it's, it's not enough. It's not a salary. Certainly it's enough to kind of carry them through and they got to get really creative in their living environments. And many of them, they will have a spouse that is working or will help carry the family through uh, those years. But our goal would be that they finish their MDiv and that they don't have any debt, at least that they survive through the four years. And then they don't enter into church ministry carrying, you know, 60, 80, 100 grand in debt as some students have to. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I think most of our listeners know this, but um, it, need, it needs to be said. I mean, th- theological education is 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 significantly um, is it's not cheap because it's not funded by government. So, so I mean, it's, yes. we have to find unique ways to fund theological education. Yeah. So it does cost more. Yes, and then clergy typically don't make as much. Yep. And so if they're walking out with a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt yep. into a church, that's going to be a real challenge for them yes. uh, and their families. If they, they're going to try and live uh, on par with the people that they're serving. Um, and you'll never live on par, but you don't know what I mean? Like yes. in, a, in a sustainable lifestyle at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all the challenges that go with that. I mean, the, the Canadian real estate market, you know, in, in many areas is now getting so, uh, unaffordable for for young families in general, and then if you add uh, you know crippling debt on top of that, combined with a modest income, um, the yeah. challenges of ever entering into home ownership also just are compounded. So, yeah, yeah especially where you guys are in the Lower Mainland, there. I mean, yeah. that's that's a significant challenge. Yes, for sure. Um, so, how do you see the face of theological ministry training for pastors changing across the country? Obviously, you guys are doing something. I know other churches are 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 trying to become theological hubs as well, especially mm-hmm. larger churches because they, I mean, they have the capacity to do that, and they have a, a larger critical mass of people. Um, but uh, yeah, you think about the across the country and what's happening. Uh, any thoughts on how things might be changing going forward in the future? Oh, Rob, uh, you're the expert at this. I should be asking you that question. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I have some thoughts, but I don't know how founded they are. Like, I, I still believe that there, there, there is, and at least for the foreseeable future, a real need for classical theological education. Like, I think our Bible schools and seminaries, we need to do all we can to get behind them and strengthen them. Uh, because there's, yeah. like, we're training 12 students, so, I mean, which is awesome. But when you think of the thousands of workers that we need across the country, there's no way that uh, a handful of churches alone are going to be able to do that. So I would love to see a combination of both the churches that are able to form some partnerships with seminaries and do a, you know, a teaching hub, if you will, locally uh, lean into that. I think pastors need to be willing uh, and their boards alongside them need to be willing to make the investment and you know, we can talk about that a little bit because I think it's important. The investment our our elders team yeah. have chosen to make in our budget. It means we can't do a lot of stuff that we would like to do because yeah. we're spending money on leadership development, church planting that, you know, we could spend that elsewhere. But I still think that there's a, a need for, uh, you know, theologically uh, solid seminaries and Bible schools. And a, a, a bit of the grief that I have uh, is watching the the demise of the the Bible school movement and the theological movement across Canada. So when you study the hundred year history on it, I mean, a hundred years ago there would have been probably twenty thirty small little Bible schools across our our nation. Many of them church based, yeah, yeah. Um, and many of them grew into you know large institutions like uh, Briarcrest and Prairie, etc. 
and then a yeah. handful of just you know small schools that never had more than 60 80 students in them and one by one by one they have dropped off uh, to the point where i don't even know you may know the numbers of you know how many bible schools are left but uh Increasingly, I, I don't think students are looking at Bible school education and, and churches are looking at Bible school education as something that they really want to encourage their students to pursue. And I, I think that's a huge loss yeah. uh, for the yeah. church in general. Yeah. yeah. And then theological education. I mean, the Canadian landscape is a challenge, right? Because there's uh, evangelical churches small and our numbers uh, are, not, are not large numbers and we're spread, you know, 3,000 miles from coast to coast. So to find a center place where people can actually would, could come and live uh, in the traditional theological setting. So I think schools and individuals have to get creative. And I, I mean, I know yeah. Briarcrest has and all the other schools have as well with summer modules and online learning. But there is something about that greenhouse effect of being together with like face to face with a cohort of students, you know, even if it's only six or eight students in a class, but at least having that uh, iron sharpening iron contact that you have where you can go, you know, you can go grab a coffee after class and really wrestle through issues and debate one another and press in on the theological distinctives that maybe you're bringing to the conversation yeah. and just yeah. the sharpening that it that it brings to say, you know what, hey, my denom sees it somewhat differently. Let's look at the scriptures. How did you land where you land? There's such a richness to that. Um, yeah. So I, I hope, Rob, that you're going to solve this problem. So <laughs> when we're done with this podcast, you can go go back to work and fix it. <laughs> well, I, I think I agree with you. I think there is a place for um, the traditional Bible school model and framework, and there's a place for the hubs. I think, uh, and I think that's what we're going to learn. And and I think COVID has taught us that that to a certain degree, uh, video works. I mean, it it is possible, and there's been a lot more emerging studies that have been done about uh, online training and and what it is capable of, and and what it's limited and it's able to do. Yeah. Um, but I, Mark, I want to go back to that one point that you make, which I think is so important. I mean, as so, I get people requesting pastors all the time, like all the time, but we don't have enough people to fill all of the need that's out there. Yeah. Um, so the challenge is, uh, is that the, it's actually at the front end. It's, it's, um, people coming for theological education. And, um, I, I almost think we need to do a call out to our churches again, is mm -hmm. to say pastors, youth workers, um, camps, would you, would you, um, challenge young people to, to, you know, challenge them in such a way that you say to them, would you prayerfully consider whether or not the Lord has called you to yes. consider vocational ministry to yeah. actually to sit down and pray for it yeah. and 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 actually to to see this this elevation of the call again as a as a social good yes um because i think uh parents now are concerned primarily with two things and and here i'm i'm I'm, uh, I'm, there's a book called the end of youth ministry. Andrew Root has written and he, t and he talks about, and he draws on Charles Taylor and he draws on, mm. um, uh, just a number of different authors, but he, he, he says that the two, the two things that parents are most concerned about for their children are security and safety. Yep. Those are the two primary things. And so, um, that means the priorities in their children's life are going to be revolved around that. And that's a different story than the gospel story. Yes. 
right? It's it's a competing story yeah. for the imaginations of our of our emerging kids. And so, if your two priorities for your kids are safety and security, well, you're going to find a, an affordable education in a place that's going to get you a good career, yeah. um, and that's going to keep you away from yes. potential suffering and, sur- and surrender. And so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's clearly not necessarily the center of the gospel story. It's clearly not, and yeah. um, it's going to keep you out of ministry. I yeah. think um, yes. so. We want. I, I just. We need to re- help parents reimagine what what the story is ultimately for their children yes. and for their future. Yes. Um, yeah. There. There's. Yeah. There's my. There's my. There's my. My pulpit. My. Uh, yeah. My. My stump speech. No, Rob. I'm with you 100. Uh, percent I remember an experience way back as a teenager. So after we'd moved to Oregon um, and before going to Briarcrest, uh, there was a a night, and I don't remember what was going on, but. I think a guest speaker, probably from a Bible school, asked the question from the front of the church, how many of you uh, spent at least one year in a Bible school setting sometime in your lifetime? And so, you know, it's in our multi-generational congregation. I was shocked as a kid that like 80% of the hands went up in that room. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm looking around at all these older folks who yeah. were, you know, mechanics and farmers and teachers and doctors and et cetera, like working in the seven day, 24 seven world out there, not in professional ministry that had yeah. been to Bible school. And I was like, it was a shocker to me. So then as I began to press into that and got immersed in the life of that church and realizing that there was a huge emphasis in that church based on the pastors who had gone before us, that every student uh, graduated from high school should spend at least one year in a Bible school setting. And there right. were actually four or five schools that our little church would, you know, kind of recommend. There were two Canadian ones, two U.S. ones. And they're like, don't, we don't care where you go, but we think that you should take a year of Bible school at least. Yeah. So in my graduating class, there were 13 students. Twelve of us went to Bible school uh, for at least one year. And the 13th guy who kind of, you know, cheated the system, he went to a Christian university. So he was like, yeah, he went down to Laterno in Texas. And so he's like, well, it's, it's Christian, so it, it kind of counts. And, you know, we kind of mocked him. But I'm like, that day is gone where yeah. church parents, as you said, in a graduating class of grade 12 students are encouraging every student in that room to say, you know what, uh, as a parent, we'll make the investment. So, you know, we said this to our kids um, we will pay for one year of Bible school for you. Uh, we don't have a lot of money set aside, but if you're willing to take at least one year, we will help you get a year of Bible school under your belt. You need to decide career-wise where you're going, but this foundational knowledge that you need, uh, we want that embedded in you. And and I think the richness, Rob, is not just, I totally agree with you, the call to professional ministry. And as pastors, that's on us. We need to be calling the yeah. young generation of men and women, like, are you considering God's call on your life, whether it's to overseas missions or at home missions in the local church. Yeah. And, and why not? Uh, why are you not considering that? Secondly, we need to say to them, every single one of you is called a full-time ministry. So That's it doesn't right. matter if you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, school teacher, yep. stay-at-home mom, you name it, you are in full-time professional ministry. So every penny that you earn comes from the Lord's hands. So are we equipping you well to go out and serve in your 24 sevens. So, I mean, interesting timing. Just yesterday, we had a meeting here with a, a bunch of public school teachers in our church. Uh, we're putting on an event in a couple a couple of weeks, trying to invite all the people who get their paycheck from the, the school district and a, a little focus group of about 12 of them and saying, okay, as Christians in the public system, 
Tell us your greatest joys and your greatest challenges. What are the opportunities you have in front of you and what are the obstacles? It was mm. a rich hour of conversation as I listened to these men yeah. and women passionately talking about their calling as public school teachers, the burden they have for students in the public system, the yeah. joys and the opportunities that they actually have, like wide open doors for conversation in many, many instances. And then, of course, the flip side, all of the challenges and barriers facing them right now as Christians in the public system. That's and right. I'm like, man, yeah. this is the work of the church. And a Bible school foundation for some of these folks, get, give them some theological moorings, uh, is so critical. So yeah. anyway, you're, yeah. you're singing to the choir, Rob, when we're, when we're talking about this. And, and, I, and I hope and pray that pastors listening will encourage you know, young students. And remember back to the day, whoever it was that tapped you on the shoulder as a young leader and said, hey, have you considered the call to ministry? I see gifts in you. Uh, yeah. I see God's hand in your life. Uh, we need to be doing that. Yeah. The I see in you call. <laughs> yes. Dave Ferguson. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, uh, let's shift the conversation to church planting. I know that's something that's a priority for Northview. How much of a priority is it for Northview? And how can you say that? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I praise God that I, I jumped into a situation where they had already made the decisions about making it a priority. So we, we're building on that. It's awesome. Um, I'll just put in raw numbers for the you know, the, the, the number crunchers out there who are wondering yeah. about this between church planning and leadership development. If you include the, uh, the partnerships we have in planting and the cost of the education, and then the staff to run these programs, it's 25% of our budget. Yeah. So that's wow. a huge investment. Uh, it means mm -hmm. that on many other fronts, uh, we're understaffed in some areas of ministry that other churches would, you know, say you need more staff. So we're running a, a bit of a skinny, tight ship uh, locally so that we are able to send, you know, 25 cents off every dollar that comes in is invested in these leaders and then also in church planning. So the church planning right now is largely done through partnerships. Uh, we've got uh, two plants uh, directly out of our church. So we, uh, in mm. the history of the church, uh, the last eight years, we inherited a uh, a church in our denom was closing their doors. The denom okay. came and said, "Can can you help us replant?" And so that was the the first sort of step into that that church planting world. Since then, I've, I've partnered with two other churches that closed their doors to help them replant. Uh, we've done our own multi site here locally, so we have four sites. <coughs> Sorry, Rob, I've got a frog in my throat. I'm talking too much. That's okay. Um, and then a plant uh, of our own uh, up in the interior uh, in Kelowna. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, we're like, there's no way that Northview Church alone is going to be able to uh, meet the needs. So we've got to find partners. So we are looking strategically for uh, theologically aligned partners, uh, not necessarily in our own denom, although right now most of them are. But <clears throat> we've got some partnerships back in Newfoundland and Atlantic Canada Quebec, okay. uh, and then the, the rest would be here in BC, where we come alongside to help them if they need training, if they need resourcing, if they need dollars uh, to help them get off the ground. So that's been a joy mm. uh, to have. Wow. And, and the cool story behind it, uh, Rob, that I just need to throw out, the commitment of our elders team to this is significant. In the first days of COVID, when none of us knew what was going to happen financially and you know where we're going to go in the tank and of course, most churches ended up doing fine through the COVID season, but we made a, a bunch of immediate layoffs and 
decisions to cut our budget in the early days. But as the elders met and we began to talk about what we would cut, they made this comment. They said, we will cut everything else before we cut leadership development. We're not going to cut our students. We're not going to stop our training. So whatever else you need to close down, close it down, but wow. not leadership development. And yeah. what that told me was, okay, they're, they are fully behind this, not just in, <clears throat> in their words, but also uh, with their pocketbooks as well. Yeah. I mean, and, and oftentimes I think in churches, that's something like that. They seem like as, as cream, like it's, 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 the, if we get to do it, we get to do it rather than yeah. the core, right. Yeah. Um, at the core of what you're all about and why you're, why you're here. And so that, I mean, that just speaks to the priority yeah. uh, of, of what it means for your church. Uh, you know, the, the, the church planning movement seems to, uh, have lost steam compared to say 10 years ago. And I, and I think it was Ed Stetzer who said that church planting is like the most commodified church product in North America. And it was at the time, I mean, I'm going down like exponential conferences and there's booths set up and there's all these church planting movements and, and every, every millennial uh, wants to plant a church because it's, it's chic and it's cool. And of course, mm. until they're, two years into it. And then they yep. realize, oh my goodness, what did I do? <laughs> um, you know, so, but yeah, and it, and it seems, I don't know, it seems like it goes in ebbs and flows mm -hmm. in Canada and, and it seems right now it's, it's kind of on, I don't know, it, it doesn't have the same, um, steam or velocity that it had say when I planted Crosspoint 10 years ago or mm -hmm. 12 years ago even so any thoughts on that? Why, why mm -hmm. has it changed? Has it changed? Maybe it's just different. Yeah. I, I think it does ebb and flow for sure. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think a Collins, the flywheel principle. I think there's got to be enough leaders who consistently just keep pushing on that flywheel to keep it going. Um, right. And really, Rob, to circle back to where we were, were before, I, I really long to see a movement uh, of uh, evangelical leaders coming together and saying, hey, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the country, we will partner together with true kingdom mindedness. Um, you know, the challenge that I, I see emerging again is whether it's, uh, you know, whether it reflects the nationalism uh, in politics that we're seeing in, in North America these days, that tribalism is rising again. And so if you're not working with my denomination, then, um, you know, we probably can't help you. Um, you know, I had a, a planter that we're friends with recently had a buddy call him say, hey, our church wants to help support you which was great, needed to raise money. And then the, the phone call came later saying, shoot, I have to tell you that met with our elders and because you're not in our denom, uh, we can't send you money. And I thought, oh. man, what a heartache. Um, the, the gospel is being preached. People are coming to faith and being baptized. Um, and you, you share common theology, but because you don't have the same denominational label, you're not willing to work together. So I think that's part of it. Um, but I, I do think God needs to raise up again and, and praying for that local pastoral leaders who have a heart for it in their, in their city, in their region. Um, yeah. One of the books I've really been inspired by in the last couple of years, together for the city, Neil Powell, who is a mm. Redeemer guy uh, in the UK, uh, tells the story of how in, in Birmingham, a group of five uh, pastors started this thing, got together, just began to pray for their city, for a church planning movement to emerge. And to make a long story short, they they said, could we together see 20 new churches in our city of a million in the next decade? Wow. And by God's grace, in nine years, uh, they had seen 20 churches planted uh, through their network of friendships. Eventually, 70 churches are now part of that. 
and they've cast a new vision to plant 30 more churches by 2030. So that would mean 50 new churches in 20 years in a city of a million. Hmm. Cross multi-denominations, um, and very, very interesting because they, they acknowledge there's some things we may not be able to plant together, but we can help each other plant. So, you know, a Pato Baptist and a Credo Baptist are not going to plant a church together because you, you differ on a, a yeah, significant a issue. One. And yet yeah. you're both leading people to faith in Christ. So you're like, okay, I, I don't care at this moment in time whether you baptize babies or you don't. If you're leading new uh, pre-Christians to faith in Christ, I'm for you and I'm with you. So can we hold each other up with, uh, you know, assessment and coaching and training and support? So I, I would love to see a movement like that locally where mm. in each city and region, there's a group of pastors would come together and say, okay, we will begin to pray. The church will own it. We won't wait for an outside network to come in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it's completely doable. I, I, I mean, I, I love the spirit of C2C when I was involved in it. I mean, a lot of guys there are from Acts 29 network tradition, um, complementarian theologically. And I'm coming out of a tradition where I'm, I'm much more egalitarian, right? And yeah. um, jury's still not out on that uh, 100%. I hold all things loosely, but you guys welcomed me in. We worked together. It was yeah. like, it, it wasn't even an issue because what's important is who's at the center and yeah. what's is Christ and the gospel and the mission and the Holy spirit. And so like 99.9% .9 of things we're agreeing on, but that one little thing was yeah. like, nah, this, let's go yeah. plant churches. Let's yes, uh, <laughs> for sure. And I think Rob pastors, if, if I learned anything from uh, the demise of C to C when it, uh, went through a, a massive uh, kind of unwinding four years ago was that in many cities, it felt like the church money movement effectively stalled. And what mm -hmm. it said to me was without the outside catalyst coming in. So, you know, without you and Edmonton leading it without other guys in other cities. So without a national staff person coming in, catalyzing an event, they, in many regions, like overnight, they just disappeared. What yeah. it said to me was, okay, that means the local pastors didn't actually own this. It was being right. driven along by a network, which there's uh, fine. That's, there's not, nothing wrong with that necessarily. But I'm like, had it been owned by the local churches, then that network catalyst would have just simply been pouring fuel on the local fire. And yeah. so, you know, city to city Canada is just getting, you know, their legs under them of getting formally started up here. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to have some legs in the coming years uh, because it's yeah. it's clearly a multi-denominational and willing to stretch the boundaries of who we work with um across the country and i'd love to see that happen love to be part of it love yeah. for you to be part of it yeah well happy to help yeah um well we're we are getting close to i don't want to keep you forever mark so let's let's give you a chance just to give a final word to encourage our ministries leaders who are out there um you get it you know uh the challenges of ministry uh you know the joys of ministry uh any final word you want to share with our listeners yeah you know what um I don't know that I have any great deep word of wisdom that's anything new rob but I was just reminded last week um sitting in a seminar and it was just good reminder it was a reflection on tim keller's life and ministry and mm -hmm. talking about the three components uh, three legs of the stool if you will that, that that made his life and ministry so significant and uh, number one was the theological mooring 
uh, gospel centrality, just a deep, deep theological well, a love for the scriptures, a love for sound doctrine, and a willingness to say, you know, I'll do the hard work of, you know, of drilling a deep well and being a, a man or woman of the word that is driven along by sound theological orthodox history and all of that. But secondly, and this came out of his training under Ed, Edmund Clowney, that if that is not coupled with a deep uh, warmth and abiding of the spirit, uh, you know, so a love of the people, a love of the church, and yeah. an, a, a true life-giving encounter with the spirit of God, which reminded me then of uh, R.T. Kendall's book, Holy Fire, that talks about the divorce of the spirit and the word people. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the word people are all about theology, and that's great. And the spirit people are all about the Holy Spirit moving, and that's great, too. But the two don't tend to work together or talk together. And yeah. that if we get the two of those things in tandem, this deep, deep love of the church, a love of the word. And, you know, there's sometimes I'm in a service where it's it's theologically sound, it's orthodox, the teaching is awesome. And then I I, I just have this sense in my spirit, but is, is the Holy Spirit here? Like, is there room for the, the spirit of God to move? Like, is my heart warmed? Am I stirred? And I'm not talking about emotionalism. But there needs to be emotion, there needs to be heart, there needs to be a joy in the Lord. So I think those two stools, uh, or legs of the stool, if you will, theological moorings, and a warmth of the heart. And then the third leg, of course, is contextualization. So Mm -hmm. it's like the theological moorings, the warm heart, it's different in Saskatchewan than it is in BC, it's different in Canada than it is in the US, certainly. It's different in the US than it is in Europe. Like we have our our daughter and son-in-law church planning in Berlin, that environment is completely different than the North American environment. So they have to contextualize. So, you know, I, I think for pastors to just say the joy of, of, of spending deep, rich time and study, don't give that up. Never, never let your heart grow cold. Do whatever you need to do to stay warm uh, in the disciplines of, of, of walking with Jesus, just your love yeah. relationship with Jesus. And then secondly, continually to ask the Lord, okay, in the context I'm in, literally the city that I'm in, the neighborhood that I'm in, the province I'm in, what are the realities in this? I don't think it's so much an anti-Christian culture we're in as it is it's post-Christian and 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 then perhaps pre-Christian once again. There is a friend out there for sure that are anti-Christian. We, we hear them all the time. But I think the majority of at least the people that I bump into on the streets here in our, our city are not anti-Christian. Uh, it's just irrelevant. Uh, yeah, they yeah, have no connection absolutely. to the gospel. So I think we still have great opportunity, but we have to understand our context um, and pray into it. So, yeah, I guess that yeah. would be my simple thing. Those the three legs of that stool. Yeah, so good. So good. Yeah. Word, spirit and gospel contextualization. Yeah, yeah. you got it. Where you're at, wherever God has placed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll have to get to get you back on here again sometime in the future to hear more about what God's doing in your uh, local context. Hey, appreciate it, Rob. God bless you. Yeah, bless you. Okay, bye. bye. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 